going to have a message that might be entitled, Peace with God. Luke chapter 2, of course, the Christmas story. We're going to start reading at verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. Father, we pray, Lord, as we spend this time with you, that you would be here with us to enlighten us, to delve into the hearts of each person listening, that you would minister encouragement and edification, and that you would conform each of us to the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to begin by asking you a question, just what exactly did those angels mean by saying, peace on earth, goodwill toward men? If we were to play the old style family feud where you got the top six answers on the board and someone were to ask you, what do you associate? Give me an adjective that you describe Christmas. What are the things that Christmas is supposed to remind us of? And you would get answers such as joy, and peace, hope, love. All of those things are true and accurate. But what do we mean when we talk about at this time, the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus into the earth? These angels said that on earth, peace. I think to, for a lot of people, if we would not stop to ask what we mean by that, most people would probably think that phrase, uh, well, world peace. You know, you give someone three answers after rubbing a genie, or three wishes. What are the three things you wish you could have? And all the people that want to be thought really nice and compassionate, they say, well, I, I want world peace. And what they mean by that is they don't want wars and conflict between groups of people, that, maybe not even disagreements. That's what we normally think of when we hear the phrase, peace on earth. Is that what these angels were trying to communicate? Were they trying to tell the shepherds that you can forget about your troubles, your, your neighbors probably aren't going to bother you anymore, those Romans down the street in government, that they'll leave you alone? Is that what those angels meant? That they were going to experience peace with their neighbors, other countries, Everyone around them. Is that what the angels meant by peace on earth? Well, let's take just a quick look at the time that this took place. Of course, the Romans are in charge, and they're one of the most cruel people that's ever inhabited the earth that governed a great portion of the earth. After all, the Romans put Jesus on a cross for doing nothing. They did that all the time, and they did it on the road that entered the city so people understood who was in charge and that you do not cross them. Just think with me what happened after Jesus was born. Herod ordered 
all the children two years and younger to be killed. For what reason? Just trying to get to one of them. He wanted to make sure he killed one of them and to make sure, he thought, he'd have them all killed. That gives you a little bit of an impression of what life was like under those governments. Was there peace on earth? How about sometime after that in 70 AD when the Romans finally got tired of their Jewish problem, they thought, and they surrounded Jerusalem and they besieged it. They starved them out and they ended up killing, they say, maybe upwards of two, three million people. Doesn't sound all that peaceful to me. I mean, our history books, if, if they're accurate at all, there really wasn't much peace between groups of people on the earth. They were always fighting. And in fact, they, they still kind of always are. Just thankfully, you and I have been born in about the one place on earth where we've been protected from it. It's rather remarkable. Don't take that for granted. But let's get back to this idea. What did those angels mean when they said, hey everybody, peace on earth? Turn to, turn to Matthew chapter 10 because I want to look at some things that Jesus said because I, we always want to understand the Lord, what He meant, what His expectations are, because I think you can get a wrong world view if you think that Jesus meant, hey, now that I'm here, the whole world's going to be at peace. Or maybe even better yet, if you follow me, if you're a Christian, well, I mean, everything will be just fine in your life. The whole world will fall in love with you. Peace. I mean, he is the Prince of Peace, is he not? Of course he is. But what do we mean by that? Jesus, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am not come to send peace but a, a sword. <laughs> that, that sounds a little a little different than what I've heard in a lot of places that want to, quote, preach Jesus. Now, people, of course Jesus is all about peace, but we've got to get to the bottom of that. What's the definition? What are we talking about? Before we get that, I'm just trying to point out some of the errors of possibly the current thinking in the world. Jesus says right here, I didn't come to send peace on the earth. And I think what he means by that, you read down through this, because I came, he's saying, that it's not a miracle, magical wand that every human on earth is now going to get along with each other. I didn't come to make sure that now there's nothing but peace on the earth. Look at the next verse. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. You see what Jesus is pointing out. If you make a decision for him, you probably had better be ready to accept what? The fact that, well, not everybody in my life is going to pat me on the back for this decision. Jesus never promised somebody the most perfect, easy life as long as you were following him. He made some good promises, some dandies that you want to hold on to and remember. You can crush a person by starting them out on the wrong path thinking, well, everything's going to be just dandy as long as you accept Jesus. The whole world will love you. Jesus never promised that. In fact, he said things in Mark 13, 13, that you will be hated of all nations for my namesake. That means if you take his name, there's a chance that even all around the world they may not care for you. 
Now, John's not trying to depress you. We're not spending the first half hour just to get you as low as you can, lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. But we do need to understand the truth. Because see, if you have the wrong worldview, if you think, well, God promised just peace on this earth, it can lead to things like you might even end up voting for we should just defund the police because, I mean, we don't need them. Nobody's going to hurt anybody and everybody's just going to get along. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, Jesus told, to, told us to expect the opposite. He said, they hated me before they ever hated you. And the servant is not above his master. You guys serve me. There's a pretty decent chance. You may get a rock thrown at you. Some things may not be all that great. So what, here's the question. Where is this peace that those angels are talking about? Let's go to John chapter 16. Those angels clearly said, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. John 16 and verse... 33. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The second half of that verse that talks about having tribulation, that's what we've already kind of established. That we should expect that at some point in life, there's a decent chance. Persecution, tribulation in this earth. But Jesus said something before that in the first part of verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. Where is our peace? Our peace is in Christ. And this now gives an indication of what those angels were talking about. Think back with me what they said. They said, on earth, peace and good will toward men. In other words, mankind. Where was this good will coming from? Was it coming from the shepherd's brothers who were back home, taking the night shift off? Is that what he meant? That the good will, you would get it from one human to another? Is that what those angels said? They said, on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Where was it coming from? Coming from the Father. You see, the birth of Jesus into the earth began what? It began the fixing of the problem of us being separated from the Father. Ever since the Garden of Eden, when sin came in, and sin was passed down from person to person through the lineage of Adam, Mankind had a problem. Whether he did anything wrong or not, but he always did because he had a sin nature. Because of that sin nature, we were separated from the Father. When Jesus was born in that manger in Bethlehem, what began? The manifestation of God's plan to do what? Pay the penalty for my sin, for yours, so that we could all, if we choose to follow him and cleanse ourselves with that blood, then what? We begin to gain peace with who? With God. See, when those angels said on earth, peace and goodwill toward men, they're talking from the perspective of heaven. That God, with his son being given as a gift in that manger, 
It's the beginning of we're paying off sin's requirements. And when that takes place, God imputes his righteousness to us and we have new relationship with the Father. We have access to the throne of God. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And verse 1. Romans 5.1 Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. According to that verse, who do we have peace with? We have peace with God. You see, you, you are not in charge of any, everybody else on this earth, maybe not even your own family members. You do your best to say have peace with, say, your, your parents or your brothers and sisters or your neighbors, but you know you're not in total control of that situation, are you? There's other people on the other end of that that can choose to be at war with you no matter what you do. Just pointing out you can't control them. It's impossible to have peace on this earth what, the way people think of world peace. This earth is never going to experience no war, no disagreement, quote, world peace until a certain event happens. That's when Jesus comes back the second time with that rod of iron to set up his kingdom. Then people will be forced to behave according to his dictates. But until that time, we should never expect this world to just be one smooth, nice sail. And we still have the biggest smile of anybody on earth because of we know who's with us. And because of what we're seeing here tonight, we have peace with God. Now, Some people, they hear this and they think, I don't know, I, I like that stuff I can see and touch and taste and smell. I want peace with that. I want peace with my neighbor. Let me tell you. When you have peace with God, you have way more than peace with any other human being on this earth. See, they can only do so much to you. The Bible says don't even fear those that can burn the body. Whatever they do to us here on this earth, peanuts, when we have faith in Christ, this verse says we have peace with God. We need to get big into definitions so we know what, are, what we're talking about. What, what does that send my way when I have peace with God? Colossians chapter 3. Colossians, past Ephesians, Philippians, after Philippians, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. These couple of verses have a lot to say about thankfulness, singing, joy, And it all starts out with, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You see, when you realize finally that that if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're blood-bought by His Son's spilled 
blood. The peace that you have with God, it's the most precious thing in, in the universe. When you have peace with, say, when I, if I were to ask you about your best friend, Almost always your best friend is your best relationship on earth. You can talk to them about anything. You're most comfortable with them. There's almost no subject that's off limits. You stay up till 3 in the morning because there's no border. There's, no, there's nowhere where you can't go in conversation. Imagine having that with God, the Father. You talk to Him about anything that you need. See, He has everything that we need. And that's why the Bible talks about the peace of God that passes all understanding. Let it rule in our hearts. Nothing more valuable than that. We're, on, we're back in this direction. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. That at that time ye were without Christ. So he's describing before Jesus, and he's describing the, uh, the Gentiles, the people outside of Israel, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Sometimes you read places in the Old Testament, think about what was just described there. You're outside of Israel. You have no covenant with God. And as this verse says, no hope. And you are without God out there in the world. That's why they spent almost everything they could get their hands on and their time building walls around their homes and their cities. Trying to build castles to stay away from the robbers. For most of this time on earth, people, in almost every place on the globe, been nothing but tyranny and oppression. It's remarkable. That verse is describing that. You're out in the world. You do not have God. If somebody is stronger than you, they own you. And they do whatever they want to you, your property, and your family. Doesn't sound that fun. And this says, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus. And the biggest phrase in this verse is in Christ Jesus. What's that mean? That means being saved. That means having His blood applied to your life. If you have that, you're in Him. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He's describing something that there is nothing separating you from God the Father. You know, the Bible, in the New Testament especially, uses a lot of legal language, almost attorney-like, as it describes what has been done for us. The legal language of having your sin been paid off, of being cleansed. And this is what we should be at least in part, celebrating Christmas. When Jesus was born here, that's when he got his fleshly body. He came in the form of man for what purpose? 
Really, his purpose all along was to get to that cross, to shed his blood. We should never think of the cross as a tragedy, really. As a human being, it's not fun to think of someone I love having that done to them. It's a horrible thing to, to let your imagination on. But that doesn't mean it's a tragedy. Jesus had to go there. You remember Jesus told his disciples, he said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, meaning he knew where he was going. In the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he pray? Lord, if there's any other way we can do this, because he knows what's coming. He knows what the plan is. He's supposed to go there. And at the very end, when he's sweating great drops of blood because he knows what's coming that night, if there's any other way, let's take that. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will. And what was the Father's will? The Lord wanted to beat sin on the cross, to pay the penalty so legally he could purchase in full your soul and mine. And any person that looks at that plan and says, I I believe it and I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Verse 14, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh, that's what's talking, that's talking about the cross. In his flesh, while up there, he abolished the enmity, that's a struggle or a conflict, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. The peace that Jesus accomplished was Breaking down the wall of sin so that you can get to the Father. That's no small thing, people. And I want to dispel a possible notion that you may have. You may be thinking, well, everything he's talking about, my relationship with God, the access I have, he's just talking about the other side of this life. Quote, the afterworld, life after death. That, that's part of it. But that doesn't mean that while you're here on this earth, God has you just out there as a stranger walking by yourself. No chance. The promise is that God would go through everything with you. Verse 16. That he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity or the conflict thereby. He came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. Who are the ones that were afar off and to those that were nigh? The ones that were nigh was Israel. They were close to the commandments. They had it written all over around them, and they still couldn't recognize Jesus. The ones who were nigh were the ones who were way outside of Israel. And Jesus brought both of those in if they accept him. Any person that accepts Christ, and this is the peace that you have. Verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. If you've never needed something from God, say a miracle, I mean you were desperate. Maybe it's health, maybe it's something in someone else's life but that you really care about and it means a lot and you're praying in tears, you're emotional, you are desperate, you need 
something from God that only He can do it. You need this verse. You have access unto the Father. We should never approach prayer as, well, just a hope. As, well, I'll take a chance. I mean, I've seen other people try this stuff. When we go to pray to the Father, we need to rely on a relationship that we have with Him. This teaches that if His Son's blood has been applied to our life, we have access to go directly to the Father through Christ with Him. In other words, when you go walking into His presence, guess who's right there with you? Because your identity is in Christ. God sees His only begotten Son looks at you. And that's big stuff. See, we, 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 we've grown up in a world where there's freedom and liberty among the individual. And so some of this language doesn't mean that much to us. But think about before America ever existed, where the whole world was, you were born as a servant. You died a servant. You couldn't get out of that. Your children were born into that strata of life. The whole earth has been like that. There's been imbeciles born into royalty. But because they were born of that king or that queen, they inherited the throne. Because even though they didn't deserve anything, it was always according to your station in life of what you were born into. And you didn't have access to the king or to favor. We've never lived like that. In America, you could work Save, there was always opportunity to reach your goals. But for the vast majority of planet Earth, that access really hasn't existed. Think of today in India, that caste system of where you're born into. Never been to India, but it sure sounds like in what I read, very difficult to escape the station of your parents. Verse 19, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner. You are part of a building that has Peter and Paul, John, Philip, all the disciples, the apostles are part, their stones are part of this building. You're part of that building. And what is the chief cornerstone of that whole building? Jesus. Do you start to see your relationship with all of them? You're of the same building. Verse 21 In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Hmm. The Bible teaches us that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. A lot of what we're talking about tonight is to get us to think a certain way about our relationship with the Father. When those angels came to those shepherds and said, On earth, peace and goodwill toward men. You should always hear that as that's God's desire what he is projecting onto the earth. He is letting mankind know that with the birth of this child, it's turning around. Anyone has the access to get out of wherever you're at. 
to become the child of the king. And that's an eternal kingdom, people. You see, we're so used to thinking about my 70 or 80 or 90 years on this earth. The Bible teaches us it goes like that. And in a sense, there's a part of it that's almost meaningless when compared to what comes after. This is why we, get, we read about people like Paul who's chained in prison and, and they're beating him. And about the time they stop beating him, what does he start doing? That cat starts singing. There's only one way that can happen. He has a peace inside of him with his father. He knows what he has access to. He knows where he's going. That even if they kill him tomorrow, there's been other times they stoned him and thought he was dead and they left him alone. For the Christian, we have a certain world view. We should view this world a certain way. Number one, Jesus told us, don't expect those people to love you. They're probably not going to. If the world hated me, they're probably going to hate you. That's not where our peace comes from. We shouldn't expect it. We shouldn't get all that down, all that upset, all that much saddened when the world won't return and give us our peace. We don't even need it from them. It sure be nice. Jesus told us to live peaceably with all men as much as you can. That's why Christians are the best neighbors. They're the best citizens. Because we're nice to our neighbor. We treat them the way we want to be treated. But there's no promise that the expectation from them should be, well, I mean, they'll, they'll turn around, they'll be nice to you. No, there's none of that. Our peace comes from the Father. And when you have that, now you've got a certain, assur- a certain assurance that they, the world, they can't take it from you. If you don't have to have something from the world, nothing they can take away from you. Us Christians, we read things in the Bible like in the Psalms, that we would walk through the valley of the shadow of death. A thousand would fall on our side and 10,000, that's pretty close. If 10,000 people fall right next to you on your right hand, you're close to it. You can hear the gunfire, you can smell the smoke, you can feel it. And in that circumstance, what did the Bible promise? That you would fear no evil. That's a comforting thought. See, that's the, kind, that's the peace that you want. That no matter what this world brings, I've got God on my side. Bring it. And when God gets his hands on some people that think that way, look out. Because those people go wherever he tells them. See, I am just amazed when I read people like Abraham where God said, take this kid and go sacrifice him. And the Bible says Abraham saddled up the donkey and left the next morning. He's gone. That's amazing to me. But see, when God got his hands on somebody that would obey, that knew where his peace was, it's with you, Father. He can work through those people like you can't imagine. He doesn't spend all day having to quibble back and forth about what I meant. No, I really want you to do it. Take off. He tells us we believe him, we trust him, and away we go. The Bible has a lot of wonderful promises. And when it comes to when it comes to Christmas time, the Bible promises it paints a picture of joy, peace, and hope. 
All of those things are intertwined with a relationship with the Father. That's the whole story of Jesus. The reason he came is to pay the penalty so that we could have a relationship with the Father. The blood of Jesus on our life. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would minister peace to each one of us. And throughout this week and this coming year, we pray, Lord, that you would be our peace. Help us, Lord, to walk through what is meant for us in this life with our head up, our shoulders rolled back. We pray, Father, that you would give us a strength that can be seen from the outside. Lord, I pray over each person that attends pastors' churches that you would go before them in strength and in word that the angels would be sent before them to straighten their path to protect them. And I pray, Lord, that they would live under an open heaven. Father, we pray for Pastor and Tiff that wherever they are at this moment, that you would minister peace to them, life, health, and joy. We pray, Lord, that you would always watch over and protect them and bring them home safely to us. In Jesus' name, amen.